Hello and welcome once again to the Punk Living Journal, the podcast which is raising awareness about living in a more peaceable, unified, nurturing and cooperative way so that we can live long and healthy lives in a world of our making which is fit to live in. I'm Jerry Sadler, your host. So, talking about environments, we've got the outer environment obviously that we live in that uh, climate change is affecting right now. But what about our inner environments inside our bodies? That's also affected by climate change to a degree, but also in other ways. And that's certainly the case when it comes to the food we eat. So I'm going to be looking at things like, well, one thing in particular, which is GMOs and how that affects us you know in in uh, so many different ways as well so well, let's get on with it yeah, so the food that we take in to ourselves provide the energy and nutrients and all other kinds of nourishments that our body needs to keep us alive to provide us with the energy that we need to be active and to keep our bodies in good health especially things like our guts where fiber rich foods help with the digestion and help us then to digest the food a lot easier which avoids things like constipation and other Uh, things like irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. However, in this modern day and age of the industrialized farm, which began around about the 60s, where it was felt there was a need to increase to the production of food to feed the increase in population. And you think, well, that's understandable. And it was thought... Now, back then, that local farms and so on couldn't provide the nation, or each nation, with um, the food that they needed. And you could be right in thinking that, because many farms are small, and they may, may be able to look after the local areas but when it comes to feeding the nation perhaps not so well yet that's exactly what they did do during the two great wars and in between as well because urban farms sprung up uh, people were growing their own in the gardens you know, or yards as they say in America and you know all on allotments and things like that I think certainly in more modern times the fact that our gardens aren't as big as they used to be has played a significant part in why people don't grow their own because now and these days you know you get these estates of homes which are worth maybe half a million pounds and whatever that is in dollars and so on yet the ground they're on you know, you get a garden, it's like a postage stamp. 
and once you've fitted maybe a conservatory or something and you've got very little space for a, a vegetable patch or even much of a garden more than a bit of turf <laughs> you know because it's not even worth getting a lawnmower to cut the grass is so small in some cases so certainly in those kind of areas with the new houses and things that are built where it's all about getting as many houses crammed onto a plot as possible because that's where the money is again it's all to do with profit isn't it <laughs> yeah so and that cuts down obviously on you know the, the the garden space which is also an area in many of the older houses that have the larger gardens an area where people can sit and enjoy and relax either by themselves or with friends as part of our well-being but when they're reduced so much in size it's difficult to do that I mean with your, all your neighbors are so crammed together almost like sardines well it's in, even in whether it's terraced housing or even in, if it's semi-detached or even detached in some cases you wonder you know between detached houses the space between each house you might as well be joined together you know because you can still hear your neighbors <laughs> go through the walls or whatever but you know that's another point i suppose you know the, the standard quality of the housing as well but so people are finding it difficult to grow their own or although there are initiatives where people are doing just that they're finding ways the you know ones who live maybe in tower blocks and so on they're using the roof you know the roof space if they're allowed to go up there to grow food and things like that or you know they're, they're joined together to form allotment committees and, and things like that and you know that's really working and i think i mentioned before in detroit it used to be the motor city and now it's it's more like the center in america anyway for urban farming with, with at the last count over a thousand four hundred urban farms and also plots where people were growing their own yeah and i think that's important when people can do that because of the quality of the food that's produced because then you know where it's come from you know what you've put on it you know to, to ward off any uh, pests and so on not because nine times out of ten you've probably used natural sort of uh, ways of getting rid of slugs and, and things like that rather than herbicides and pesticides and other chemicals that get sprayed on crops and and and, uh, and things like that you know and that's really really important as well I know for example there are uh, many gardeners who you know vegetable gardeners and so on they use ladybirds you know to, to get rid of little aphids or whatever you know they attack their their plants and so on they eat away at at the, the leaves and you know and destroy the plant and then uh, you know the attraction attracting birds into the garden is very important as well because they also get rid of slugs and and snails which are unwanted you know and uh, which have obviously can have a devastating effect on on your crop you know your local garden crop or plot or whatever so attracting wildlife into you know especially birds into your garden is important as well or onto your allotment you know, these are natural ways that we've used for centuries millennia 
to protect our gardens and our, our crops and so on. I mean, it's not that long ago that we used to have scarecrows in the field. You rarely see them now, you know. You rarely see a scarecrow. I haven't seen one, I think, since I came back to the UK. I, I may be wrong and maybe I've been going to the wrong areas. But since I came back to the UK in 2007, I haven't seen a scarecrow in a field. And where I live here in Rugby, it's surrounded by farms. It's quite a rural area. In Germany, I still saw a few here and there. But they're not in common use now. They're not part of the normal it's like farming culture as they used to be. You know, and so and I can go back 70s, 80s, maybe into the 90s, they were still very much prominently in use. So what's changed then? In many cases, especially in, a, say, a country like USA, you know, America, its GMOs have changed. Genetically modified organisms or genetically manipulated organisms, you know, um, a lot of the crops there are genetically modified or manipulated in such a way to prevent the need of you know, using scarecrows, for example, or natural methods of uh, getting rid of pests like slugs or other uh, diseases and so on that attack crops, you know, through little 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 bugs and things like that, because they, on a massive scale, they considered that to be inefficient. So they have genetically engineered, if you like, or uh, manipulated crops so that they grow resistant to these pests and so on. And they also spray their crops with, with certain chemicals. And so uh, there's one thing, is a glycophane or something like that, that they prolongs the life of the crop and so on, or enhances further uh, growth and so on. So they get more of a yield. And for farmers, yield is important, whether it's crops or whether it's to do with animals or whatever. Excuse me. Yield is very important because that's where the money lies. So in America, 90%, more than 90% of their food comes from industrialized farming. And, you know, over 90%, it could be as high as 98, 99% even, maybe a little bit less of their meat and poultry come from factory farms and these are these are industrialized farms basically where the the cows or the pigs or chickens poultry turkeys and whatever are kept in huge sheds and they don't get out into pasture land they don't get to roam free and uh, they're they're fed then a, a mixture of animal feeds uh, and maybe some grasses, some silage or whatever, if they're lucky, but mainly it's just animal feed. And that's their life. And then after a couple of years, they're taken away to slaughter, they're fattened up basically for slaughter, maybe not even a, a, a couple of years. Like chickens, for example, depend whether they're layers, in other words, do they lay eggs, or whether they're broilers, in other words, eating chickens. If they're broilers, they've got a very much shorter lifespan. It could be a matter of months. Uh, whereas uh, the layers may have a longer lifespan of about two years before they're slaughtered and, and they go into the food chain, normally into the animal food chain. And that animal you know, food chain also includes 
the cows and the pigs who are supposed to be especially the cows are supposed to be herbivores but their feed contains some uh, like bone uh, marrow it contains the uh, what's left of dead animals um, there is a practice I, I'm not remembering the name of it but it is it's called something it's added it, it, it's basically animals that have been killed and no longer needed they can't be used for human consumption so they're all mashed up or crunched up whatever and added to animal feed yes mostly dogs and cats uh, maybe, maybe some zoo animals perhaps are, are fed that way as well I don't know but some of that will go into the feed for cattle for pigs even for poultry so they're feeding on their own you know relatives whatever as well and that's their life and in those crops I mean that you know the, the welfare of these animals is another matter that's a serious thing as well in in the US yeah you know, how those chickens and everything are treated how the animals and the pigs and so on are treated but that's maybe a, a, a something from another time but that feed that they have is from those genetically modified crops now and they're finding their way obviously into the human food chain as well because either the animals are eating it so it's coming in through the meat that we're eating you know or especially in the US anyway not so much I'll get on to UK and Europe in a moment but certainly as far as uh, the US is concerned and maybe Canada and maybe one or two other places around the world that animal feed is full of those pesticides and uh, herbicides and glycosophane or glycerine <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it if I find that I'll, I'll try and put it in the show notes I'll put the proper name in the show notes glycosophane or something like that I think it's called yeah and that obviously is fed to these animals that gets into our food chain or into human food chain because we buy the meat and we eat it and so on in America the genetically modified crops are also gone directly into human consumption into you know you know certain certain foodstuffs and so on and it's big companies massive companies like Monsanto and Bayer are pharmaceutical companies really yeah these are the ones who are doing all this research and development and working on behalf of the of the of the, the meat and dairy and poultry institutions to uh, increase the profit increase the bottom line because that because for them that's all it ma that matters now is increasing the bottom line how much money can they get out of it and if it means you know automating the whole complete system having maybe just one person running the whole farm instead of maybe 20 or 30 that's brilliant for them if it means not having to pay out money for for uh, people to treat the crops and so on spray the crops and so on because they got genetically modified crops that uh, do it all for themselves by themselves kind of thing and that's even better because they save money in that it, it, it's about saving money cutting corners everywhere they can and a lot of the money that they save is pennies 
really is pennies. There's some research done where in the meat uh, sort of industry, the methods that they were using, for, I think it's for kosher meat to be honest, the methods they were using even to treat kosher meat just to save money and this is for example I think with kosher meat I believe if I'm right you may correct me if I'm wrong but no veins or blood vessels and so on should be in the meat they've got to be all got to be taken out to make it fully kosher because part of that diet is you don't eat blood of any kind however a lot of the ones producing that kind of meat are cutting corners and only cutting out the essentials if you like that doesn't cost them as much because a lot of the veins and, and arteries and things like blood vessels are in parts of the animals that are difficult to get at and are expensive to remove so they, they leave them in and they save money and it's one penny per animal <laughs> so it's, it's minuscule but when you're talking about thousands or hundreds of thousands you know, it soon mounts up millions even of animals now I'm not so sure how big the kosher market is in the US but uh, maybe not as big as it used to be but certainly from that you can, you can tell that genetically modified uh, crops even animals are the norm in the United States the, the, in the poultry industry you know, they're, they're genetically modified so they don't have to use their legs because they're deemed as useless, they're kept in cages some of them are four or five stories high now these cages are stacked on top of each other yeah, and that's where they live in a tiny little space yeah, and they, they're there defecating and urinating on each other and that eventually gets into the food chain and obviously because of that, that's why for example with chickens or some of the other poultry as well turkeys and so on they go through a process where they get chlorinated to get rid of all the seemingly dirty stuff and all that but you know like I said that's that's animal welfare I'll get onto that maybe another time but certainly these animals are genetically modified you've got cows who are genetically modified so they don't have horns and that's more to protect you know those who are not farming them but who are wanting to slaughter them so they don't get hurt when the, when the cow is threshing about because it knows it's gonna die you know and so it's to reduce injuries slaughter men and so on and you get others like I said the poultry they can't use their legs you know all they do is get fat or whatever so if they were ever let out into you know, a pen or, or even you know a bit of grass they, they wouldn't be able to do anything anyway they'd just sit there they wouldn't be able to do anything anyway they wouldn't be able to use their legs you know so that's in the states but what's it like here in UK well, in UK and in Europe there are strict regulations about the genetically modified crops and animals no crops are allowed to be genetically modified at the, this current time what uh, as in directly anyway for human consumption feed however that's got genetically modified ingredients in it is allowed to 
be given to cattle and so on and uh, that comes into the marketplace comes into the supermarket shelves and things like that but actual uh, GMOs for crops and animals that's not allowed there's strict regula regulations about that and they have to be marked up even if, if, it, if it's uh, food that's directly got uh, GMO ingredients contained within it's got to be labeled up as such and if it is uh, say from that comes from abroad and it is G a GMO animal or GMO meat product then it's got to be labeled but at this current time uh, according to the FSA uh, I looked at their website I think it was updated on 2015 I think it was the last time uh, uh, there are no GMO crops being grown here in the UK for uh, human consumption it may be for animal feed but not for human consumption and there are only at, at the moment I think maybe about half a dozen types of crop such as alfalfa, uh, some I think some corns, uh, aubergines and so on like that, which are GMO products, direct GMO products around the world, you know, in different countries. So it's, it's a better situation here in UK, however, or in Europe, you know, because of the strict regulations. But as we all know here in UK, we are no longer part of the EU and things may change very much so in uh, the coming years and as a result of that there are concerns as an example uh, on March the 3rd the Sun newspaper had an online article an online report raising awareness of that in that uh, you know because of the UK US trade deals there is a concern that we will eventually have GMO products more widespreadly on our shelves yeah, and that could also include chlorinated chicken despite the government's whether it's Labour or Tory whoever's saying no that's not going to happen but things have been said like that before no it's not going to happen and it's turned out that they have happened in time because like I said it all comes down to profit at the end of the day and the major supermarkets want to make their bit of money in fact talking about the supermarkets up until 2013 the the policy was to have absolutely no GMO products directly or indirectly in the supermarkets 2013 Morrison's I think were the first supermarket to change their policy to include that they would include GMO products on the supermarket shelves as the Tesco's and the rest followed suit so as it is today you will get GMO products whether that's soy for example can be a GMO product and that's used in a lot of health foods and so you need to look at whatever it is you're eating very closely read the labels see what's on there see see if they do include G uh, GMO products or ingredients like I said they've got to be labeled up still to uh, indicate that so GMO products are coming in and I would predict that they'll increase as well once we start doing trade deals 
here in the UK anyway, once we start doing trade deals with others around the world, other countries where they are the norm, for whatever reason, you know, especially in countries where perhaps their crop growth or their animal welfare, or whatever, isn't as good as in, say, here, UK, Europe, and so on, you know, to, to boost their yield, they'll use uh, GMO. China's a big place for that, as well as, well as perhaps Vietnam you know, and other countries, India and so on, are increasingly going that route as well. Although there are st still very strict regulations in place. Now, because the thing is, with these GMOs, that can have a health effect, can affect our health in different ways. Whether, you know, whether it's because they, whether they are in fact linked to obesity, they're linked to uh, other things like cancers and so on. There's been lots and lots of peer-reviewed peer studies carried out by eminent scientists in the, uh, the food industry, independent, I might add as well, and have pointed this out. And uh, they, they've looked at the environmental impact as well, because these industrialized farms have a massive, massive environmental impact on our climate. And uh, just as an aside, farms, these industrialized farms give off more carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide, give off more than airplanes, road traffic, public transport, and uh, you know, general usage put together. They are the, the world's leading, leading carbon footprint damages, if you like. They have the deepest carbon footprint of all the ways that this is uh, sort of generated. Yet most people don't know that. No, because that's kept hidden. That's kept quiet by the meat and dairy industry, the poultry industry and so on. You know, and it has been people, now, to be honest, I scoffed when I first learned of this a couple of years ago when uh, I think it was Greenpeace or uh, animal welfare activists and so on, you know, they were saying, you know, that the, the belching and the farting of the cows was adding to you know to to the co2 emissions and so on and i was i was saying well what and farms i mean how is that possible when you got millions hundreds of thousands maybe millions in the wild maybe doing the same so how how why, why is the poor cow getting that kind of uh <laughs> sort of rap if you like that reputation it's not the pasteurized cows you know, the pasture-fed cows that are getting a wrap. It's the ones who are kept in industrial-style farms. Even here in UK, we have industrial-style farms where cattle and pigs are kept in sheds and poultry are kept in sheds. They may have a bit of a better life than, say, the ones in the US, but they're still kept in those uh, conditions. And they are the ones, because of the, the feed that they're being fed, constant feed that's... a basically a, 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 a drug concoction because it's so full of antibiotics that's all animal feed especially in the states as well over 80% of the animal feed 
or the antibiotics that are made or used in uh, the United States are in animal feed and that's very similar to here as well you know, in the UK the animal feed is so full of antibiotics and I've mentioned this before that we get that into our systems as well and it also means that the animals themselves become resistant to these antibiotics and that leads to because it comes into us comes into our food chain we develop a resistant resistance to these antibiotics and that's why you've got the current pandemic and you've had previous pandemics and epidemics and so on that have sprouted up over the years because of that very reason then you've got for example I was reading a book and it was by John Robbins I think it was yes he's a great activist for animal welfare and eating the right foods and things but he was saying in, in one of his books that the syphilis for example have become so resistant to syphilis there is now only one antibiotic left that works and normally you'd uh, back in the day or, you'd, or you got and you had syphilis with having an injection of uh, penicillin and that stopped it not now not these days that's not working anymore and the, in, the cases of syphilis and gonorrhea and things like that are increasing all the time. And a lot of that is down to the food we eat because of the way the animals are fed, what's, what's in the feed and so on, all these GMO products and so on that are in the animal feed. So what to do? What can you do about all of that? Well, you can reduce the meat you eat, the meat products. You don't have to give them up completely. We can juice the highly processed meats and dairy that we have because they contain the highest amount of GMOs and these drug-related things as well, antibiotic-resistant enzymes or molecules, whatever you want to call them. Shop organic, eat organic, go organic where you can. I know that's difficult in some areas, but where you can, go organic in the, the supermarkets, for example, are uh, stocking more free from and, and uh, vegan and vegetarian style products. Uh, they're also stocking organics, a lot more organics. Still not enough, there's still only a few things like in my local supermarket, it's an Asda. I can get organic carrots, I can get organic uh, potatoes, white potatoes which aren't much good to make because they're, they're full of starch. They're okay for now and again. Uh, no, that's, that's by the by. That's because I'm a diabetic. Anyway, but uh, what else can I get? I can get... Occasionally I can get organic beetroot. And that's about it. You know, organic leeks. I've got some organic leeks. It's very few. It's only maybe a handful of different vegetables or... or uh, and there's obviously a few meats that, that are organic as well that are, are available. And that's brilliant, you know, but it needs to be a lot more than that. We need to go, as a nation, we should be going, looking more to be going more organic and to eat more of a plant-based rich diet, which is, you know, what I've been on about a little bit as well. You know, because we can get all the proteins and, and, and vitamins and things that we need from the, the green leafy vegetables such as the cabbages and, and uh, spinach and uh, yes kale as well and stuff like that 
but also from the, the root veg we can get a lot of the proteins and the vitamins that we need from there and the amino acids and so on and you know like I said we don't have to give up the the meat the dairy the eggs just go organic go proper free free range eggs for example not the ones where they're let out in a pen of about six by six foot or something like that but proper proper free range eggs you know where the they have maybe a good size field to run around and scratching you know and they're not kept in cages and stuff like that and they've got somewhere where they can be safe at night like a you know the hen coop proper hen coop and so on you know, ha proper happy hens <laughs> giving proper happy eggs <laughs> in that sense so we don't have to give it up completely but it's a, ch it's a change of the diet you know and i've been doing that over the last week i started a 31 day food revolution challenge and i'm calling it hashtag 31 day food challenge and I'm documenting that on my uh, sister podcast, A Reluctant Vegetarian, uh, as well as other tips and insights and recipes and so on you can get on there as well. You just go to areluctantvegetarian.com, you'll find out about that. So we can make improvements. We can create a resistance, if you like, to these GMO products by not buying them simply not buying them you know vote with your pounds vote with your dollars vote with your euros vote with your yen whatever it is you know don't buy the stuff if it's got gmo products in it and you're not happy with it don't buy it go fully organic and that's uh, the message from uh today about the gmos and so on and uh, how we can have a healthier diet really you know, because these GMOs can be dangerous they can lead to many kinds of illnesses now it's still being studied to be fair yeah and there could well be good GMOs out there Let, let's not put that you know to, to the one side and forget about there are good things being done so that certain crops can grow in certain areas for example with poor soil and so on so they can be genetically modified to grow in those areas you know and uh, that then would feed the people in those in those areas and that would be better you know, there's things like that that can be used for the good but it's when they're being used purely to create profit for these conglomerates which call themselves farms when in actual fact they're not. Now, there's another thing I learned was uh, a number of the huge farm on farming industries, these industrial farms and so on in America, are not actually owned by farmers. <laughs> they're, owned, they're owned by electrical companies, they're owned by companies who do you know, bath fitting and you know, furniture making or whatever. Yeah, they're owned by other companies who have got nothing to do with farming. They come from a totally different industry. But they see that as a way of making money you know that's that's part of their investment you know so they're investing money into it these these farms and so on because you know they can make money out of it it's cheap it's cheap money it's a good investment as far as they're concerned so basically a lot of these farms are viewed as wall street sort of potentials if you like a way of making money for 
and that's all they're interested in and not bothered about the welfare of the animals and not bothered about that much about you know the food that we eat as long as it's cheap and as long as it doesn't kill anybody you know directly as in drop down dose as you eat it then that, they're not bothered the long-term effects for their short-term gain they're not really bothered about not interested in in many many cases there are those who will or are changing their minds perhaps because of research and so on but uh, most don't because a lot of the research as well and especially in America a lot of the research are done by boards which are funded by the meat and dairy and poultry industries so they're a little bit biased in that sense so that bodes well as well doesn't it for that kind of future okay guys I think I'm about there now uh, I will start doing blogs now because the Punk Living Journal has got its own website now I'm very pleased to announce that if you go to punklivingjournal.com now I've got a website where you'll find these podcasts and I'll be starting to blog on there as well on a regular basis and uh, I look forward to, to seeing your comments on there because you can leave comments on there as well and if you've got any views about what I'm talking about on this I'd love to hear from you about that as well as always the details are in the show notes of how you can uh, contact me in that way alright guys it's been a real pleasure to speak with you again and I look forward to the next one and uh, until then whatever it is you're doing have a great time and See you again very, very soon.